G'day, Jonesy here. On this episode of Power Up Your Business podcast, we speak with Glenn Carlson, founder of Dent Global. My experience is it's not hard work people are afraid of. They're just sick and tired of hard work for no progress. Learn from Glenn how you can confidently present what your business stands for so that you differentiate your business from your competitors to ensure that you increase sales, profitability, and ultimately improve your lifestyle. Today's episode is brought to you by the Cube software platform, assisting business owners how to plan, market, and improve their financial decision-making. To find out more about the Cube, go to www.thecube.network and click request a demonstration now. You're here to change your life. Because there's too much on the line, you're sacrificing shitload now and your family need to benefit. You've got to make learning a passion for yourself. The clicker for me come to realise that, hey, I've got to get better at business. And welcome to this episode of Power Up Your Business podcast. I'm here with my co-host, Craig Bushmarkham. G'day, Jonesy. Hello, Craig. Welcome again. And today, really excited. It's a pleasure to have Glenn Carlson in the studio, Sunshine Coast boy, now a Bondi boy, co-founded Dent Global with his best mate, Daniel Priestley, now seven years ago. And together, they collaborated to create the Key Person of Influence, a 40-week brand accelerator program, which is recognized by Inc.com as the number one brand accelerator globally. They've assisted now 3,000 businesses to really stand out from the crowd. Glenn is the host of the Dent Podcast with a listenership of 50 to 75,000 listeners per month. And the key person of influence has assisted 900 authors to publish their books. And I'm uh, one of those successful authors. Rock and roll. Number one. Bigger than the Bible, they say. (laughs) (laughs) You and the Beatles, mate. Me and the Beatles, look out. And the team of 50 across 12 time zones. So, Glenn, welcome, mate. Mate, stoked to be here. Got to catch my breath after all that. So that's your biggest intro. That is my biggest intro. But it's warranted. I couldn't have. 100%. I couldn't have written it better myself, mate. Oh, you gave me a little bit of assistance. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> sorry, can I just mention we did miss uh, Glenn's uh, sleeve measurement. Yeah, that's so, oh, true. Okay, yeah. waist size. We'll get that in. You can help me with that. Looking outstanding, though, Glenn. Uh, oh, thank welcome, you, mate. Great to have you here. Appreciate being here. Very good having a, a Bondi boy. Yeah, Bush. look, new to Bondi via the Sunshine Coast. We accept them from anywhere, but particularly the Sunshine Coast, we're wrapped because they know the drill. Coastal, you know, good good style of man too. Oh, yeah. Nice and cruisy. Glenn, just getting me back to your story is starting your first business on the Sunshine Coast. Did you start on the Sunshine Coast, your business, or you moved from there? Yeah, well, so my first business was cleaning boats. My dad was a shipwright in the Navy. He retired when he was about 35, pulled me out of school. I was six. So my mum, my dad and I, we sailed around the world for seven years. So seven years floating around on a 40-foot boat uh, on sort of dad's pension. So it wasn't a life of luxury by, by any stretch. 46 countries later, came back to the Sunshine Coast. I was 14. Did a stint for about six months at Macca's. As uh, everyone does. Am I allowed to swear on this? But I won't swear on the podcast. But it's, it was, a trade, it, it's a tradies podcast. It wasn't for me, let's just say. And um, my dad said the only reason people are going to buy something or pay you money is if you're fixing something for them. Right? He was a shipwright, built boats. So he said, why don't you walk around the marina and see what needs fixing? There was a big race on in a couple of days. One of the big issues was the hulls were dirty. We had an old scuba tank on board. I was uh, pre-15, so I wasn't old enough to legally dive, but I grabbed the mask and the tank and uh, made about three and a half grand in two days. So I'm now walking, and I used to make about 300 bucks a month working at Macca. So I'm now the Mark Zuckerberg of the Sunshine Coast. And scuba diver. Got my swagger on, underage scuba diver. So that was my first business. Did that for about three years. Hard work though, but uh, it, it taught me that business was the way to go. Dad had the boat. That was his vehicle for freedom and travel and self-expression. For me, it's from that moment, the switch went off in my head. I became unemployable and and business was the way to go and it's been a pain in the ass ever since. (laughs) (laughs) Good pain to have that. Ah, mate, wouldn't. Well, another thing my dad, love my dad, another thing my dad said, I was floating around on the boat with him. He's up in the Philippines now, still, still got a boat. And dad's Navy boy, you know, always working, always got something to do. Yeah. And, and I'm there with my mates and we're having a drink on the boat and he's up the mast fucking around with something. I'm said, well, mate, just come down and enjoy yourself. And he's sweating and swearing and he said, I am enjoying myself. And that evening on having a few sundowns, he's like, you got to pick the problems you love to solve. And, and that always 
stood with me, you know. I mean, business yeah. is a never-ending stream of problems. you just got to pick the problems you love to solve and get on with it. It comes down to that passion, doesn't it? Yeah, I think so. Like feeling of fulfillment coming from doing good work and serving in whatever way lights you up. I mean, if you're just in it for the money, that'll, that wears thin pretty quick. But if you're making money and you're doing something that, that makes you feel good. Because I think you'd agree, especially with your business over seven years now, you've had some tough times. Oh, 100%. And that's the thing. I think a lot of people from the outside looking in, especially with our listeners in that trade space, construction business owners, a lot of times yeah, you're in a bit of a dark corner and you think you're the only one feeling it. Yeah, it's like this, this monkey part of our brain that wants to just come up with any excuse it can to work out why we're different because it's hard for us. So we look at the grass as always greener and, and imagine every other business is just a cakewalk and it's just a fantasy to try and stop us from dealing with the reality of, you know, in, in the same way that every boat has to struggle to sail through storms, every business has to struggle to sail through the challenges of growth and changing conditions and what have you. It's never easy, but if they're the problems you choose to play with, you can make them a lot of fun. I think that's especially in this climate now, in the day and age now of information, changes here, changes everywhere. Well, change has always been here. It's just faster. It's just faster now. That's like right. it's so can, much it's faster. Condensed. If you're not on it, yeah. like if you're not, I mean, I've, I've been surfing since I was sort of 14 and, you know, surfing can be a lot of fun when you're skating along the, along the face of the wave and just being powered by this force or you can get smashed and drilled and drowned in the soup. And I'm really seeing that it's binary. There's no middle ground. You're not kind of half enjoying yourself surfing. It either sucks or you're having a great time. And I think business is the same. And that's the thing where you've got to keep going. And that's one thing, as we mentioned before, about you've got to go through that pain. A lot of people don't realize how close they are to success. They stop <laughs> just before they break through. Yeah. And that's what my belief is that you've got to come through with that passion. If you're passionate about something, you're playing a big game, then you're willing to push through those tough days as opposed to when you're not really sure what you're doing, it's easy to stop. Yeah, the bright, shiny object syndrome. If you've got a reason to do it beyond making money, you will continue to do it for those reasons. Because let's face it, the vast majority of business challenges that are going to make it unfun has got something to do with money, and that money then has an impact on time, which then has an impact on freaking everything else. So if you're only doing it for the money, the moment the money gets hard, you're going to throw the baby out with the bathwater. If you can tap into some bigger reasons that you're doing it, brilliant. Glenn, when you started your business seven years ago, what were those big reasons for you? I mean, you got to make it fun. You got to get a balance. There's a serious side to it. No, I wanted to make money back then. Yep. Yeah, I was a kid. I so, mean, in your twenties, that's you know, you're not here to save the world. You're here to try and make a buck and prove yourself. So it was purely ego, money, cars, travel, experience, and to prove to myself that I was enough. That was why I kind of got into business in the first place. And regardless of the success, how far away from that original uh, starting point is your business now? like completely unrecognizable. Yeah. So Dan and I, so Dan was a mate from high school. We started our first real business. Well, when I say real business, you know, I tried employing people with the boat cleaning business. It was just hard, you know, polishing a boat for eight hours in the Queensland sun, like you very quickly start looking for, for other options. Um, <laughs> so, so I took the same principle that my dad said in terms of you've got to be fixing something, but I took that to go beyond you had to be fixing something material, right? So we started, I had a skill around marketing and sales. So we started promoting authors, speakers, business owners that were pretty obscure, unrecognized, unknown in their industry, but were awesome at what they did. And we started promoting them and, and we'd take a clip and we built that up and we built it up quickly. We started when we were 24. In um, the first year, we did a million revenue. In three years, we did 10 million. So really quick growth. So now we're really swagging around thinking we, we know what we're doing. The market punched us in the face, as it does. Um, so it went from ten million down to zero. Wow! Built it in within a few months. So that was, you know, gut gut wrenching. Uh, and then we regrouped, looked at what were our skills, what were our strengths, and we built it back up, expanded over to the UK. But again, eight years in, we were exhausted by this point, um, and we figured, you know, we'd had a major business collapse. We'd built it back up. We'd expanded internationally. We started thinking what most business owners start thinking of at some point, which is, well, let's sell the thing. So we were doing a few million pounds at that point, and that's when a pound was still worth like eight thousand dollars. <laughs> and uh, we put it up for sale, and the most we could get uh, was a couple of hundred grand. So for eight, seven, eight years of blood, sweat, and tears, that tiny amount of money was like a real sort of punch in the guts. Yeah. And yet we had all of these skills. All these, we had great team, great culture in the team, great clients. Like we couldn't understand why. This wasn't working and an advisor of ours basically said, 
Well, it's because you don't own anything. Like your business is just a big brokerage model. You're promoting other people. You're taking a clip of the ticket. But when all's said and done, you've got no business assets of your own. And we were like, what's a business asset? <laughs> and, and kind of that distinction, that value, that influence, that scale, that fund, that income, that everything follows from a business context follows assets was I think probably the start of my entrepreneurial journey, really. Everything before that was play school. Then it kind of got real. I feel like I, I'd cracked the code. I could see the matrix. And then for the last seven years, we've been building out our own business assets. So now we own everything that we do. For the plumbers out there that listen to this and the tradies that listen to this podcast, is that a natural journey that you, you just, you can't, what I'm trying to get at, Glenn, can you avoid that lesson and jump straight to the entrepreneurship? Look, if I can use an analogy like sailing, just because it separates it from my business is different, right? If I throw you into a storm without any experience sailing in business, no training, no mentoring, no advice on how to handle that storm, what's going to happen? You're going to get smashed. If you've got a great team behind you, great training, you understand how to use the, the machine, the boat, is the storm going to be easy? No, it's not going to be easy, but it's going to be manageable and you're going to get through to the other side and you're going to make a hell of a lot of progress. Um, my, my experience is it's not hard work people are afraid of. They're just sick and tired of hard work for no progress. That's the thing. They want that return. And that for, it's either a financial return, more personal success, more time with the family because sometimes we get business owners that are, hey, they're delivering a shitload of money, but they've got no time. So there's some really successful people. When was the last time you were on a holiday? I haven't been on a holiday for three years. Yeah, there's, there's two uh, really popular lots of time no money yep. <laughs> really popular lots of money no time and therefore no relationships and all the stuff that Correct. goes on with that and therefore no meaning often or there's this kind of rarefied point where you've got lots of time and lots of money and my experience if there was one principle that i think has had the most manifest difference in my in the way that i look at my business it's the it's this idea that income follows assets yep. and an asset the way i look at it is Anything that continues to create value if I don't show up, right? So if, you, if, if anyone's listening, if you were to imagine what would your, if you were to imagine your business without you or your team, all the humans were to disappear, what would be left and how much revenue would it be generating kind of by itself? Or how close would it be to be able to generate really good revenue by itself? That is the degree to which you've got an asset built business. And my experience has been that every stress, frustration or bottleneck Anything in any area of my business or even my life can be traced back to an asset deficiency. And when I recognize that, I kind of, my, my mindset switched from being a business operator doing shit um, to being a business owner having, like you build a house. You know, the, the house doesn't stop wor working once you've built it because you walk out the door, whereas most businesses very much are that case. And that's what happens a lot of the time where business owners think they've got a business but they walk away. It might even be for six weeks to go on holidays. They come back and there's nothing. All the boys are out surfing. Yeah, exactly. Right. So, in theory, they haven't got a business at all. They've just created a job for themselves that totally relies on them to survive. In your experience and coming back to some of the trades and construction, businesses that have come through the Key Personal Influence Program, yeah. what are some of those assets that you've been talking about that have really transformed people's lives? Yeah, if I can take one step back, right? The, the first step is the recognition that w whatever you do and you're great at it, that's not good enough. People don't buy drill bits, they buy the hole, right? So if a carpenter, you know, is the world's best fitter and turner, they're still highly likely to be broke or struggling. Like being able to do your craft is step one. It's creating that value. It's being able to do work for a client that they love. It's a skill. Absolutely, right? But there's almost this expectation that, if I'm just good at what I do, I'll be successful. And that is just manifestly untrue and inaccurate. And that paradigm can create the most frustration that you'll ever experience. So step one is the mindset that not just a tradie that might be listening to this, but a corporate lawyer that thinks like they're the Harvey Specter of, you know, kind of their world has to recognize that their craft isn't enough. The moment they make that mental shift, it's like changing gears from first to second. You get out of kindergarten into, all right, what's stage two? Stage two is about getting known for that value, right? Because where the vast majority of costs come into the business is attracting clients, is attract and good clients, repeat clients, the perfect clients that can pay and pay on time or in, in that sort of perfect space the right team that can deliver upon the expectation of those clients and perform at a high level and, and actually want to be there, you know, partners, media, et cetera. So the, the cheaper it becomes to get known, 
the faster a business will accelerate because you don't have to worry so much. Because anyone here that's kind of relying on referrals recognizes that that's a very slow game. It'll work up to a couple of hundred grand, maybe 500, 600. Then you'll tap out um, for that level of organic growth. So I'm assuming that someone listening to this has already nailed the value step. So then the way we look at it, there are five key assets that you need to look at developing to build influence around that value, to get known for that value. The first is you've got to have an awesome pitch, right? You've, you've got to – most people are awesome, but they don't communicate they're awesome because they've got like imposter syndrome. They just think, I'm just another sparky. Um, but the reality is when you dig into the way you do what you do that's phenomenal and you are bold enough to communicate that, not in a like self-indulgent, shameless self-promoter kind of way, but just the facts – all of a sudden, you're able to communicate your value a lot clearer. People can only pay for value they can recognize. Is that fair? Yeah. Right? Tangible. Most businesses, any business, tradies or anyone else, are under-communicating the value that they actually deliver day-to-day without changing anything, way under-communicating it. So step one, the first asset you want to build is a rock and pitch that not just you, the owner, can communicate, but everybody else on your team. Because you've got your mates that, that that are putting up the guttering or the roof or whatever it is, right? They're out having barbecues with their mates and they're being asked what they do. And if they're like, oh, I lay Rio for a living, well, you're missing a huge opportunity for those 15 people that were crowded around them that if they had this great little 25-second pitch that had people go, oh, shit, that's pretty cool. Now, of course... It's like, oh, well, no, we just do buildings. Everyone does buildings. There's nothing special in that. And that comes back to this kind of imposter syndrome. It's like, if you choose to look, you'll find it. So step one, first asset, awesome pitch. And that comes back to that mindset. Starts with the mindset. If you've got that mindset that I want to build that value, I want to create a brand that doesn't rely on me, then you're going to think about what are you delivering? How can I pitch it? As opposed to trading mindset, how we talk about trading mindset, oh, I'm just a plumber. Yeah. And look, the, the business owners can see it for themselves in terms of how pissed off they get at their team for having a tradey mindset. You know, it's very easy for the tradey business owner to see the tradey business mindset in their team where surf's up, no one comes to work anymore, and they get pissed off at that, right? But the reality is they're operating with the same mindset in a lot of ways. So the moment they recognize shit rolls uphill, they've got to change their attitude first. And it's like I said, I'm not picking on tradies. I have to have the exact same conversation with belligerent lawyers or financial advisors or real estate agents that wear a suit and tie for a living. Um, once you make that leap, and that is the biggest leap psychologically, to go from delivering value to building influence, like everything just gets so much easier. So, Glenn, you, you touched on a really interesting point there. I listened to a couple of the Dent podcasts, and one in particular stood out for Thanks, me mate. was Major General Andy Salmon. It was really interesting. And you had this little section on leadership. So what you just talked about essentially is a business owner, you know, that's a tradie out there with some tradie mindsets, as you say, surfs up, you know, no one's working. He's got to change himself into a better leader. So he needs to get educated. And what we're really talking about is potentially doing the, uh, you know, the program. Yeah, and he's the guy that's leading 10,000 troops, you know, in Iraq and uh, leading the SAS forces and all this sort of stuff. You know, his entire attitude is we're, we're there to win, win hearts and minds. Yep. It's the storytelling. Like we've got to be better storytellers than anyone else. And when you hear military leaders talk about strategy like that, it's like, wow, okay, that's what influence is. How important is leadership for the guy that's working, the trader guy that's just working on the tools within a business? He can become his own leader. How does he get out of that situation? And he's got ambitions and you say people often are tough on themselves. Mm. How does he just break through that mold? Yeah. See, le- leadership is too vague for me. I-, I drill everything back to if there's something you want that you don't have, that's a frustration. All frustrations can be traced back to an asset deficiency. I don't think about leadership. I don't think about skills because that just leads to more doing, right? The moment you think, what's the missing asset? Oh, let me paint this picture. Let's say you had a five-bedroom house that was dilapidated and you're frustrated that there's two, two elements of property that everyone gets because you can stub your toe on a property. It's physical, right? There is um, the rent you could get from renting it and a business owner would think of that as their P&L or there's the equity that you would get from selling the house and you might register that on your balance sheet from a, uh, that perspective. So if you had you know, five rooms in a house but it was all pretty dilapidated, you're not going to sit there and go, we need to throw more money at sales and marketing to get more money out of this thing. That just doesn't make any sense and that, yet that's what most business owners do. They're just like, we've got to grind harder, do more. 
Whereas a, someone in property is just going to go, no, we don't need to do more sales and marketing. We've got to improve the asset. We've got to go renovate the rooms. So room number one to renovate is, is the pitching room, right? It's got to be pimping. You've got to walk in and it's just got to be amazing. You've got to be able to talk people through that room so they go, wow, this is an incredible business. Your team need to be able to talk people through that room so they go, this is an incredible house. I'm sorry. Then people tend to walk into the next room and again, it's shit, which is the credibility room. Um, so you can be really good at what you do. You can be communicated very well, but if you don't have the credibility to back it up, well, then people are going to go elsewhere. One of the fastest way to build credibility in any industry is to publish thought leadership content. So it could be as simple as, you know, if you're a plumber uh, producing thought leadership content around how to make the most of the water in your home, not just like sustainability, sustainability, but not just that. Like how many people have two or three showers a day or two showers a day with a shitty little shower head, right? Whereas for 20 bucks, they could have one of these big luxurious things that they have, right? However, I had a plumber come in the other day. He fixed the leaky tap and he just walked straight out again. If he had a said, hey, here's some collateral, here's some brochures, here's some material on seven quick, cheap, easy things we can do for less than 1500 bucks that'll transform your home from a water perspective. Nice taps, nice faucets. Yeah. You know, your girlfriend frustrated because she's got, you know, ruined hair because of this. We can put a filter on that, you know, on and on and on. And all of a sudden, here's a job that someone would normally get $200 for. They're now walking out with $1,500. Yeah. And it all comes down to just educating right. the customer. Educating correct? the customer. But again, even if you're good at that, that's kind of in the pitch. But if you're doing that one to one, you're going to bottleneck. Whereas if you're producing that content through the Facebook or LinkedIn or just podcasting, like, getting it out there just even on a brochure all of a sudden people are calling up going i want the 1500 dollars thing and can you do my pool as well and do my aunties and do my aunties and etc etc because i'm going oh my hair's never been (laughs) my girlfriend's hair's never been smoother and you know she's not pitching about it anymore so i'm just (laughs) telling all my mates you know and you know we laugh at it but that is how it happens it's as simple as that too isn't it it's just like there's a document Share it. Yeah, let me let me show you what else we can do that you never thought of. And, and I guess you can kick off by bottlenecking. You can start by doing it yourself, as you say, get to the bottleneck and then do it on a mass scale with social media and using other platforms by educating yourself. Yeah, well, well that's what happens. You get the value right and value around your pitch, value around published content. Scale happens naturally, right? People try to scale without creating the value in the first place and so they just divert all of their time and mental energy and focus to trying to build their business. Whereas if you step back and go, What's the missing asset that would cause this scale? Or if you don't want to grow a business, instead of growing in scale, scale your profit. You know, stay the same mm. size, but double or triple the profit. Yeah. Go from pulling reduced turnover. Yeah, go from pulling a hundred grand out to five hundred grand out, and see how that changes your life. Talking about a lot of business owners don't want to scale. It comes down to that classic again. Always comes back to the mindset, and this is one thing that we're big on that from a methodology point of view is that I haven't got time. Yeah, Glenn, that's great, Glenn. Yep, I love your work, but I haven't got time to stand back and scale because guess what? If I take that one hour off the tools, I'm going to lose 70 bucks. They can't see that that one hour could take them. I've got so much empathy, but when I look at my own life and my own bullshit excuses, the reality is when I'm saying that stuff, I'm just tired. I'm just Mm. exhausted. It's already really hard. And the idea of doing more of shit that doesn't work very well doesn't sound like fun, but I'm not going to say that, so I'm going to tell you I'm busy, but really, I'm not. I'm just buggered. I'm just not sure where to go next. Yeah. A lot of the time. Right. A lot of the time you just run out. You go, I've spoken to all the, the higher powers and I'm still in the same position. What is going on here? Yeah. But then there's – so that's the that's the zoo part of the brain. That's the monkey brain that just wants to, you know, go around in circles and chase bright, shiny objects and come up with excuses so it doesn't have to actually be accountable for doing something great in the world, right? But then if they look around, anyone looks around their industry, you'll find there are people that are doing it really well, that they're having fun, they're having an impact, they're rocking their services to their customers, they're getting known in the media, they're sharing content, they're creating joint ventures, collaborations, partnerships, like, and all of a sudden, they're doing the fun stuff. Like, everyone talks about work on the business, not in the business, but the reality is you're going to be stuck in your business until such time as the market sees you as being more valuable out of the business. Yeah. Until such time as that commercial reality is true, you're a worker. The moment the market perceives you as being more valuable out of your business, you become an influencer or, to your point, a leader. 
Glenn, what's the first step? There's a lot of people, I think it's a great point you raised, like you've got that zoo part of the brain, you know, running around chasing the shiny object. Yeah. You've also got a business owner that's doing really well. I happen to know quite a few plumbers like this that are kind of settled and they want to protect what they actually have as opposed to leverage and get out. They still have the same complaints. They're tired. They still can't turn up for lunch because if I leave my business, I'm I'm so important. How do they take that leap? They've got good profit. They've got good revenue. They've got good uh, good teams behind them. They've built the organization and built the structure, but they actually don't have that mindset to jump out because they're still complaining like they don't have it. Yeah, sure. And look, it's, it's a good question, right? So this is now separate to these rebuilding these five rooms, right? Let's say in- intellectually they can go, yeah, I get the concept. I've got to renovate my business to make it better. But I said, to your point, I'm scared and I've got a bunch of re- excuses that I'm using to justify that, yeah. right? And I'm saying this because I'm hoping someone's listening in the private, in their car, and they're recognizing that actually there might just be a teeny tiny bit of truth in that. I'm not a big believer in kumbaya kind of personal development. I'm a personal development geek. I love it, right? I like all. I joined Amway for the tapes back in back in the day. But we all, we all suffered that. But there is a but there is a large degree of that just being hot air and fairy tales, right? I'm I'm not discouraging a spiritual or a journey of understanding the self, but I don't think that's correlated to success because I've gone to a bunch of these big rah rah motivation type seminars that are trying to motivate people to go, hey, go renovate the house type thing. Yeah. And you're pumped um, that night. You're, you're pumped, right? But there's a bunch of people that have been addicted to those things for the last 20 years that still haven't done anything with their life. Correct. Right? And yet you look at some of the more successful people in the world and they're messed up, <laughs> right? Like you look at a lot of the rock stars, you look at a lot of the entrepreneurs, they're not balanced, right? They're not living great lives. They're totally freaking out of balance mm. as well. So, so this personal development or motivation kind of concept and external success in in the business world isn't isn't correlated what i see is being correlated just by looking around is the environment that you find yourself in so for example let's say someone's listening and they're a mechanic right and and you've got your boys performing on the floor to the level that they're performing let's say one of them got a tap on the shoulder to be on the formula one pit crew what's going to happen to their level of performance overnight it's going to go through the roof. What's changed? Has their, has their skill set changed? No. The only thing that's changed is the environment. And if you look at any high-performing people, whether it's a nurse that's really great at what they do in an emergency room, well, and an emergency room in a hospital is a high-performance environment. If you look at a Navy SEAL, well, you know those, those teams are high-performance environments. So my experience is a lot of people that find themselves struggling to take those steps if they do a true audit of their environment like the people that they spend the most time yeah. with etc they're not lit up people they're not excited people they're not inspired people um, they're people that are buying into their own excuses and justifying their own poor performance and you become who you surround yourself with yeah. if you want to learn tennis you join a tennis club if you want to learn mixed martial arts you know you join a mixed martial arts club why five things that these environments provide they provide strategy and best practice so you don't have to make it up with trial and error like this is why people have apprenticeships so they can actually learn how to put up a roof instead of making it up as they go along whereas most business owners are making their business up as they go along the second is a peer group if you go back to your partner or your mates or your brother and they're like what are you doing macca like as if you're going to be able to make that work well, that's a really hard environment to be in and still perform. Whereas if you're showing up to a regular environment where there are people just like you, less educated, less experienced that are doing better, that starts to normalize your little monkey mindset brain of what success actually looks and feels like and all of a sudden your performance starts to raise as well. Add a few extra things like external accountability, access to the tools and resources you need to just build the business right without having to try and make it up and having a bit of a common goal. So I'm at the surf club down at Bondi. We've got a common goal, no lives lost. Everything else comes around that one core idea. And so I find, for me, finding myself in a high-performance environment of business owners that don't just want to create a, a great business for themselves, but they want to do it for their families. And they also want to do good work and give back in good ways as well. Me showing up in that environment two or three times a week does wonders for my courage. Yeah. And you are a product of your environment. 100%. Now, coming back to a real-life example we spoke about just before we jumped on air, and it's all about from a tradie perspective, and that tradie understanding 
that they're not just about fixing a broken toilet, they're not just about putting Rio in the wall, that they are actually fixing problems to ideally stand out from the crowd. What we see a lot where a lot of tradies and, and construction business owners will come to us that it's a you know, competitive market, Every, everything's on price because everyone always comes back to why'd you lose that job? Oh, it's all price because that's an easy default uh, position. Just, and I love the name, Stop Cox Plumbing, <laughs> an example from the UK. Yeah. This is a great way of really positioning a business around an individual but also around a higher purpose as well, especially it's very topical at the moment. Just want to give a bit of a background. Yeah, so Hattie came to us, troubling upbringing. She is a homosexual. Um, I'm very proud of that fact but was very marginalised because of that in terms of just kind of who she was, how she looked, etc. And she was a plumber, right? So kind of almost from her perspective, her experience of the world, it was compounding, uh, that compounding effect. And she wasn't having a good time. She was working really hard and she was making her money from sticking her head under sinks and, you know, fixing leaky taps. Wanted more. There was this part of her soul that felt like she was on this planet to do more than, you know, she had more to give, fix leaky taps, but she didn't know what it was. So our advice, get yourself in a high-performance environment. Um, we, we have spent the last seven years trying to build that high-performance environment for, for entrepreneurs internationally. And so she came and she, she got in the environment. She did, uh, she did one of our programs. And one of the big ideas that we get everyone to think about, and if you're listening to this, I'll, I'll get you to think about it from your perspective. And I said it before, if people don't buy drill bits, they buy holes. When I was cleaning boats, people weren't paying me to clean the bottom of their boat. People were paying me so they had an edge in the race two days later. They were paying me to go faster, right? So Hattie had to go through this whole process, which was really difficult because she's like, people buy me to fix taps or to- It's fix, all about like, me. Yeah. Well, it's on my website, see? Right, so it's almost like because that's the way I've been doing it, that's the way I've got to be doing it and because that's what I think people buy, that must be what people want to buy. But it's the whole Henry Ford thing where he said if I had have asked people what they wanted, they would have said faster horses. We've kind of got to have that. We don't need to be an iconic titan to take that small step in that direction. So through a few of the things we get people to do, Hattie started talking to her ideal customers, not the people that don't pay on time, not the people that pay 100 you know, quid to come and do a little thing here and there, but the really great jobs where she'd be making thousands or more. Customers you know, that appreciate her value. Thank you. So she didn't really have any of those customers at that point, but she was thinking, well, wouldn't it be great if I did? And they're all you know, the wealthier uh, people in sort of inner city London. And so then the, the exploration, much like my dad said, people will pay to fix something or to solve a problem. So he said, other than the leaky tap, what's the problem they got? So she didn't know. So he said, well, if you don't know, what do you do? Go ask. So she went and started talking to and calling up and contacting and using her network to just talk to these people about, look, other than leaky taps, what's wrong? Like, what's the problem? And what started to show up was this pattern of fear. Really, when, you know, if it was a, a, a family where the mother and kids would stay at home and the, the guy'd go off into the, the square mile to, to do his high paying kind of job, which is common, he, the, the guy didn't like the idea of a plumber from East London coming in that they've never met, they don't know, traips and shit all over the carpet, checking out their wife, et cetera, et cetera. So the husband and the father was just pricking yeah. himself. Yeah, right. But at the same time, the woman didn't like the idea of this strange guy coming in, right? Because she, she's the one there having to deal with it, right? And even if it wasn't a personal threat, right, they're not clean. They don't, you know, put stuff on their shoes to protect it or any of that kind of stuff. It's lovely like, BO, plumber's yeah, crack. All, all that sort all that of good stuff, stuff, right? It's the cliche and it parallels across any industry, right? Like I said, this is the same for real estate yep. as it is for plumbing. So, when she realized that, she realized that when she went back to some of her clients, one of the reasons why they liked her was because she was a woman, right? And so much of her background, she'd felt marginalized because she was a woman and she loved women. Now, all of a sudden, people are valuing her for that. So, uh, she started getting gigs at the Defense Force, speaking for women in the Defense Force that had a trade that were looking at what they were going to do when they left the Defense Force. That's great. Right, because not a dissimilar stigma, women mm. with a trade, right? But she's so, becoming that mentor. So, Stopcox became one of the UK's leading women-only franchises. Now, remember, room one, 
pitch. She used to pitch. And we say, you get what you pitch for and you're always pitching. She used to pitch, I'm a plumber, I'm a plumber, I'm a plumber. What do plumbers do? Well, they fix leaky taps. She started pitching, I'm building the UK's leading women's only plumbing franchise. If you know a woman with a trade. Come and see me. Come and see me. Great. Um, within two years of changing her pitch, 18 franchises all around the UK and the book and her whole philosophy around water conservation once or twice a year, her and her entire team fly to Africa, they dig wells, they install irrigation, they do all that kind of stuff. Just total game-changing business paradigm and she's not on the tools. She's making more money than she ever thought she would ever make. And I'm not saying like, like crazy, stupid numbers. I, I don't think she's still personally taking home more than a million, like taking home more than a million a year, but you don't need to. If you're, numbers. In, if you're loving what you're doing and you're making a difference and you're having an impact and you're feeling like you're expressing yourself, so Hattie's just a great story. The great thing about that, and I, I love those, I suppose, rags to riches, and the key thing that you've done via the key performance methodology is you've actually instilled confidence. And That's what you guys do as well. But that's the thing. If you instill that confidence, and I bet you engaged uh, with the program, she's probably thinking, you know what, for the first time in my life, I've got someone who's got my back. I've got someone that's actually, you know what, saying yeah. you can do this rather than hearing all her life, like through school, as you said, marginalized. No, you can't do that. You can't do it. Well, you're going, no, you can. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I don't see it like that. I know what you're saying, and that's kind of an effect, and it looks like that in hindsight. The, the reality is like when we get someone to go in and change their pitch like that or to start publishing content, none of them feel confident at the start, no one. It's, it's not biologically possible for you to feel confident doing something you've never done before, mm. right? So I snowboard but or surf, but if you got me going out in eight-foot swell or on a double black diamond with no skills, how am I going to feel? Well, I'm not going to feel confident. Right. Well, how do you learn how to surf? How do you learn how to snowboard? We start on the little green run. And so our approach is, look, it's not about confidence. It's just about building the assets. Influence and income and scale and fun and time follows assets. When you identify the missing asset deficiencies and you get on with building those things, the value and the results just start to occur whether you feel confident about it or not. In hindsight, people's confidence starts to build as a result of that. But it's the process of building the assets, not feeling confident that, that has that impact in, in my experience. Glenn, obviously you are a, a person of uh, great experience and influence and, and hence oh, the books. You say pardon, all the right things. Pardon the pun. But what do you say to a, a young plumber? A lot of young tradies will be listening to this who are at the beginning, they might have just left school and they'll be second or third year in and they don't really know where they want to be or where, where they want to go, where would you advise them if you were just advising them over a beer at a bar, where to start? Uh, I, I'd, I'd say try, try and find something that's at the intersection of money and fulfillment, something that you enjoy doing, you can geek out on. right? Like if, if you're a Sparky and you go home and you're not reading up on everything Elon Musk is doing around the new technology around batteries mm -hmm. and electricity and like all that new level stuff, if you're not just naturally doing that, quit. Yep. And find some like what do you geek out on? What do you love? Right. What 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 do you love? Because otherwise, the, it's going to be a chore. Well, and technology is going to start like eating so much of an automation in the next 10, 20, kind of thirty years. Which if if you're young, you're on the we're already starting to get into that. The one thing that beats everything hands down is is passion and enthusiasm, and you can commercialize anything. There is a guy get get your head around this. There is a guy you can Google him. I um, don't know his name, but. He makes $350,000 US a year selling essential oils. You know those like essential yeah. oils chicks like for fucking hamsters. Really? Right? Because if you're, if you're, you know. You've taken it to a whole new level you know, now. It's your you know, podcast. You know how people have like hamsters in cages yeah, and stuff? Well, they get little skin rashes because they're on straw. And if you don't want to feed them chemicals and you want to give them essential oils so the hamsters can be more comfortable. 350 thousand dollars a year <laughs> i read once that richard gear actually massages his hamsters with essential oil. <laughs> don't know if that's true or not but i read it <gasps> i'm so, sure where we're going that is so, going down the drain so my point is no matter what your your thing is no matter how obscure here's the other thing i find right people say oh you know my, my passion is widgets or my passion is this and that but i can't make money out of it if we freeze frame and then just look at that person and that statement objectively. How many hours do you think they've dedicated to exploring 
30 different ways they might be able to commercialize it. How many people do you think they've talked to that are experts at commercializing ideas like that? Donut. Yeah. There's just this little monkey part of the brain that's thrown the, the bananas out of the pram and go, can't do it. And we've just heard that and gone, oh, that must be true and we've got on with our life. The reality is if you spent a month or two getting in an environment, exploring different ways that you could commercialize how to make money, you know, running a surf shop instead of being a sparky or, you know, mountain bike tours in Argentina or whatever it is, maybe you'll just find that making 150 and 200 grand a year isn't all that hard. And you might not become the world's wealthiest guy. But if you die happy, haven't lived the dream, hundred percent. Who cares? So that's what that's what I'd say to a young gun. And in fact, that's what I'd say to anyone. Say to anyone. The classic thing is that they don't listen though, because this is the thing about young guns: they need a punch in the face first by the market. Right? Yeah. It's got to be hard work. They've, they've got to be ground down before I had to be ground down by the world and the market before I started. Well, it comes back to we're talking about at the start. You've got to go through that storm. Yeah, 100%. You've got to go through that storm because yeah. it will happen to everyone. As you said, everyone's going to get punched in the face. Yeah. Coming back to that belief, which comes back to the confidence, because one thing that I'm, from a, an individual point of view, uh, I just wanted just to clarify that from a confidence point of view, which does come uh, belief, sorry, point of view. Yeah. How important is it that the people come on board with you, that they believe in you? So... When you're starting, so coming back to when you're starting, okay, so key personal influence, in terms of are you the right environment, how do you get around, you know, from your pitch and, and KPI, how do you set yourself apart, especially now there's a lot of people out there, a lot of business advisors, business coaches, action coaches, there's a dime a dozen. Yep. How do you pitch? Yeah. I don't ever want to be in a situation where I have to convince someone to like me or that I should have to convince someone that they should work with me or any of that because to me that just feels icky, gross, not cool. You know, Kelly Slater doesn't walk around trying to get people to to like him. He just does what he does. So I was doing what I do but I wasn't having lots of people show up going, I want to work with you. So what's the missing asset was the question. So now I've created with my business partner, Dan, an ecosystem of what we would call intellectual property assets. We've got a podcast, we've got books, we've got I do video stuff on Facebook, which is just going crazy at the moment. We've got reports and downloads and YouTube videos and all this ecosystem of stuff, which is being consumed, stuff people can watch, read, listen to, by tens of thousands of people a week. Are some people going to listen to that content and go, these guys don't know what they're talking about, they're dickheads, I don't like the way they swear, I don't like people that live at Bondi heaps right but the beauty of having that asset ecosystem is i've never had to meet them i've never had to talk to them i've never had to try and convince them by the time didn't people have to waste time with didn't them. have to waste any time with them by the time people have gone through that ecosystem people show up going we like you we try i lived in bali i believe for, you yeah i lived in bali for two years right if anyone that's been to like a developing country somewhere and you go to the markets what goes on well it's a shit fight everyone's trying to like throw their stuff down your throat they're pulling you into their thing they're putting their product in your hands and they're going buy it buy it buy it and you're just like oh pretty shit soon after living there for two years you just tune out yeah right you just mate i'm not listening mate like no and you just walk through until why on no thanks yeah, sorry why on no not interested katut katut katut's cool he's all right so this is what we do like our brain just tunes us out and this is the market right um so who is the guy in the market that you go to well you go to the guy that you know Right? You go to the guy that you've been told is the guy to go to that you can trust, etc. So, therefore, there is no market. There's just Katut because I've already been told that Katut's the guy to go to. So, this kind of starts looking like our referrals, right? But, again, it's not scalable. In the world we live in, if we want to create a great business, we need to go beyond that. So, how do we scale referrals? How do we scale trust? Well, we get a great pitch. We package it into great content that people want to consume that turn people from not even knowing they need a plumber to come in and change their shower head to picking up the phone and making the call all without a human being being involved. So from my perspective, I don't think of me trying to convince the market. I'm just putting great content out in the market and then the people that do like, do resonate, do have the problems show up totally changes the nature 
of, of, conversation. Of, of our business, of our conversation. And it's just like, yeah, of course you want to work with us. We work hard. We do great work. And it, it's a nice experience to be talking to people that want to work with us. Wasn't always the case. And our skill set at delivering value didn't change, by the way. We were already awesome, already awesome at this. What changed is we recognized we needed to build that ecosystem of influence, yeah. I guess you could say. And that's made a huge difference. And, and that's what we do. And we do it with doctors, lawyers, tradies, plumbers, sparkies, you know, mobile mechanics. Like the, the, it doesn't matter what your product is. And what comes back to that bit of science that the key person of influence works on, which is about the number of mediums that people can oh, yeah. see you and the amount of time. Just yeah. give that little bit of a All right. science behind that. So if you imagine a big circle, and that's the market out there. That's everyone that could possibly buy your stuff. Muppets, great people, everyone. We don't want the market. We just want our market. So imagine a little teeny tiny circle connected to the other big circle. That's just all we want. If we just had that, life would be awesome. So the question is then, how do you separate your market from the market? And the answer is content, stuff people can watch, read, listen, do. Right, but then there's a the psychology I think you're talking about is is we do something called seven eleven four. What we want to create is we want to create enough content so there are seven hours worth of content out there that people can consume. If my girlfriend wants to go and read up on everything there is to read up about taking chlorine out of water and she wants to read the book and watch the shows and listen to the interviews and all that kind of stuff, if she wants to go down that rabbit hole, she can in a ideal scenario right so seven hours doesn't mean people are going to but if they want to they can it's having that amount so people can content gorge almost on your stuff step two is across 11 touch points right so if i catch up and we have a beer one touch point have you got a best friend that you've or someone you really trust that you've only met and known in one location of course not right you meet them at the pub, but then you go and you know have a dinner party, and then you go to the footy, and then you da, 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 multiple locations. So our brain goes, I need to experience and engage with this person or piece of content over multiple timestamps. So a number of different touch points over time, eleven. So it's day one, day two, day three it could be three or four touch points in a single day. So it could be an email, a newsletter, it could be an email, podcast, video, anything. Video, yeah, if I listen Facebook. to a podcast and then I go to book the book or I go and watch a Facebook thing, that's a different touch point. Now, what we just talked about then is also a different platform. So, 7-11-4, 7 hours, 11 touch points across four platforms. So, a platform is the pub, yep. right? another platform is the website, another platform is your email, another platform is Facebook, another platform is YouTube, another platform is iTunes podcast or Stitcher or whatever it is, right? So, if you've created enough content that can be consumed for 11 hours, sorry, 7 hours or more, and set it up in a way with email autoresponders and all that kind of ads and what have you, uh, Google some retargeting where people get touched 11 times and they consume content, even a small amount of content across four different platforms, you've created what we've called trust transference, right? Where now their monkey brain, that's the part that's making decisions, goes, I know this person, I've seen this person, I like what this person says and I've seen them in multiple locations, therefore I know them, like them, trust them and I'm happy to buy from them and therefore they will... move towards the business or the content creator as opposed to the business having to move towards them. Very good, Craig. What do you think? Yeah, I love it. I'm really, really, uh, you know, it's it's quite uplifting to hear that for our young tradies and our audience, you know, both male and female that don't know where to start. I think the key message I've taken away from Glenn besides, as I said to you before, well, you've got so much to, to talk about and so much to pass on, but the knowledge. key is get out of that monkey brain and actually just step back for a second and perhaps do a stock take. Where am I now? Where do I want to be? And how do I get there? And I think you're in the how section for me. And I think anyone that's listening to this podcast needs to really take that point, whether it's going to, to team up with Glenn and his team, which would be outstanding, or find their own niche, or you know what? Become that mountain bike coach in Argentina because maybe that's what's really driving you. Well, you've got to be passionate because business is hard. Sure is. And so whatever you're going to do, you've got to have that passion there. But again, in the show notes, we'll have the details, Glenn, for yeah, the key person of influence. I'm yeah, sure there's a, there's a heap of tradies, sparkies, electricians, landscapers, builders, mechanics, all looking to how can I get out of where I am at the moment. I don't like where I've been. Some people have gone through divorces, stress, illnesses, all because of the business. 
So I'd love to shoot them your way and give them that assistance there. Yeah, well, I'll tell you what. Look, we've created a whole bunch of stuff that we just give away, right? Because we only work with a very select kind of group of people because like our business accelerator is so structured. If you don't fit a certain criteria, we, we won't work with you. It's like we're a diamond cutter. If you're not a diamond, and I don't mean to say that, that you know, a ruby is any less awesome, but we just have a very specific type of people that we know we can work with and we focus on working with them, which is why we can do it well. Mm. That said, the free content that we share and the stuff that we present is applicable across any industry, any size of business. So if someone just goes to dent.global forward slash start, from there, get access to the book. We'll send you a free copy. Get access to our online benchmarking tool, which essentially is a building survey for your business to be able to work out the degree to which you've got quality in each of those five rooms that I was talking about, free online tool. It'll link through to the videos and our podcasts and all that stuff as well. So if you just go dent.global forward slash start, put that in the show notes, um, that'll show you what to do, where to go. And I can definitely firsthand vouch for the Key Personal Influence 40-week accelerator program. Fantastic. And it was especially the publish and the, the structure and the framework. Without that, I wouldn't have been able to publish my book, Power Up Your Trading Business. Just give that a bit of a plug, Bush. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, no, it's a great book. And, and honestly, <laughs> well, it is a great book. <laughs> I will, I will say to the to the tradies out there, there's a book in everyone, I reckon. But 100%. they might start doing the accelerator program and then find themselves in that same position as you did. I know that there's two guys sitting in this room. One's our producer Silky and myself that are going straight to the accelerator program off the rap you gave it. Because I'm with you. you, Glenn. You're not about walking across hot coals, hugging some lady from Coca Cola on level two who's an accountant and high fiving some guy with Kumbaya. I'm the same. Unless she's cute. Well, that's a different story, and we can't go any further than that. This new PC, well, we can talk at the bar, Rubsky's Green Room. <laughs> but uh, in all seriousness, if you want to get bang for buck and you want to get just drilled down to what you really need and get an actual outcome, I think it's a great opportunity. So, And I love the, the acronym, isn't it? GSD, which is part of... Get shit done. Get shit done. It's yeah. pretty simple. We, all, we can all relate to that. Just get shit done, but the right shit done. Yeah, build. Build, don't do. Yeah, 100% build. Love it. Awesome, Glenn. Thanks very much. Hopefully, we can get you back on later on in the year. Super stoked, mate. And look, I just wanted to, to really acknowledge you. I mean, you, you talked about your book, but I mean, that book has stacked on decades of experience and thousands of lives changed. I mean, the reason that we wanted to work with you so much was fundamentally because not just you do great work because you do, but your dedication to doing that great work and your commitment not just to transforming tradies' businesses but to transforming their lives. And I've heard you tell the stories not of the person that's gone through your program but of their families right? and the impact that it's had on their kids and on their relationship with their kids. And I see you, you know, when we're talking about you know, the numbers and the P&L and all that kind of shit. But when I see you talk about the lives of the kids that have been transformed because of the, the blokes you've had the chance to work with, mate, that's, it's rare. And I just wanted to acknowledge you and congratulate you for that, mate. You're a rare breed. You're a diamond. Uh, not in the rough anymore. And 100% power up your trade business is a must read for anyone that's tuning into this show. No, I really appreciate it, mate. And I definitely, and as we are as a group, nothing better than transforming lives and you know, that's that's what we do. It, it gets us sort of going each day. So much appreciated, mate. Be brave, have fun, make yeah. a dent in the universe. Yeah, and you just won yourself a signed <laughs> copy. So All congratulations. Right. Well, thanks so much. Good for on coming you, Chad. Appreciate it. You've been listening to the Power Up Your Trading Business podcast with Glenn Carlson and, of course, our host, Matt Jones. Don't forget to tune in to all of our podcasts on Power Up Your Trading Business. And if you haven't listened to this one twice, you haven't listened to it. 